Squire Radio, I'm Bo. And I'm John David. Ooh, John David, how you doing today? <laughs> you know you like it, yeah. John David is I'm John, sick, I'm man. John David. I'm John David. Who, who's the imposter for John David? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's oh, so man. funny, man. Of course, I'm the one with little tiny kids now, and you, you uh, you know, years ago when we were getting this thing off the ground, you were the ones with, with uh, little tiny kids, and, you know, you'd always come you know, dragging your feet to the uh, microphone on, you know, Tuesday mornings or whenever it was and, you know, sounded like death because they, you know, contracted something at daycare and then brought it home for mommy and daddy to share. And um, <laughs> and, and I always didn't really have a lot of pity for you. And, and now it's, well, it's just comeuppance. You know, it's that crow pie. <laughs> oh, man. Come on. Come on. I mean, that's true. That's true. There's been a lot about you becoming a dad that I'm just like, you know, what? I'm going to be magnanimous. I'm not going to I'm not going to pinpoint like you're like, you, you never you never realized. And now you get it. No, now you true. understand. It, no, man. I get it. It's, we, you don't you don't get that. You know, like, that's the thing. It's like, no, no, it's fine because you don't hold it over the head of a father who's going through it you wait, you wait until they're, until they're like kind of through it and then you rub their nose <laughs> in it yeah <laughs> Exactly. Well, you know, exactly. we have friends that, you know, or, you know, don't necessarily send their kids to daycare or whatever. And I, I just feel like they're missing out. You know, it's uh, they they're there's something. Well, their immune systems their are immune terrible. Systems are awful. I mean, I, you know, we could the next right. the next time COVID comes around, we're good. Like, we're you know, I don't, right. <laughs> I don't have to worry about it <laughs> anyway. Right. It's right. Uh, this is this is really something. So all that to say, uh, man, yeah, not not feeling too great. Got some kind of. Uh, witchcraft from my daughter that you know got it at uh, at daycare and and uh, and I'm just trying to make it through. Yeah, not uh, frankly not been smoking my pipe for the past couple of days, as you can imagine, and trying to you know drink a lot of good uh, liquids, uh, you know, just water and that hot tea, tea and and you know eating decent food, taking a lot of naps, and and there has been the occasional uh, dram of of whiskey along the way. But uh, but yeah, man, we're just oh, yeah. uh, we're just <laughs> we're just floating along. <laughs> Man, I, I think I've, I've shared this on the show, but I'll never forget when I was in D.C. I was in D.C. doing a live show for a different show and I was sick as a dog. Yeah. But I, I was meeting up with actually a Country Squire radio listener and, you know, we were hanging out, having breakfast. And I mean, like I, I, my voice was just I mean, like it was like Bad. gravelly, yeah. just like barely hanging on by a thread. <laughs> it was awful. And I, I remember because we were sitting there, we were talking and, uh, you know, I was, you know, sharing some, you know, as, as I occasionally do whenever meeting people in, in, uh, in person, I, I like to share kind of some behind the scenes stuff that we might not mention on the show and kind of some, some of the old stories, you know, from the, from the, from the barracks right, and whatnot right. and, and all that kind of good stuff. And, and somebody else walks by and like, Hey, are you talking about country square radio? I love that show. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I, which was, which was great. And I was like. Oh really? I'm Bo York from Country Squire Radio. I, just, I remember you sharing that. I remember you sharing that on air, man. Yeah, that that's right. that's hilarious. Right. And they were like, no, but but really, like, but really, yeah. And like, no, it's really me. Like, that is of course, funny. I didn't sell it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, man. That's that's a small world, but uh, yeah, you could. It was hard to get away with that one at that uh, at that point in time. So. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's well, man, great. I'm glad that you're here. I know that it's a uh, it's a rough one, but we've got a we got a fun topic to talk about this week and uh, a lot of good yeah, stuff going yeah. on. Um, and yeah, hope uh, hope you get to feeling better. Uh, as you say, the 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 honey, the tea, the the, the tea, the honey, 
little spot of whiskey. Throw some orange juice yeah, uh, in, in the mix from time to time. Yeah. You get a, you, you get back. We'll get, back. <laughs> we'll get there. You know, my my palate and my voice. It's my it's my money maker, man. I got to get it all back in that's true back in shape here. So I got to be able to uh, taste those tobaccos and uh, me and talk uh, talk uh, you know about them on Country Squire Radio and everything else. So we'll uh, we'll we'll get back in the saddle soon. <laughs> all right, man. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, what about what what else is going on, man? Uh, I know you've been kind of away away from the shop, obviously uh, to kind of rest up. But uh, y'all y'all got anything? Uh, fun going on everything going well well we did just re- brand new uh release a new tobacco and it's yes, uh, it's turkish delight and uh something that we uh, are excited about it's actually the last blend uh from our now departing um shipping and, and customer service coordinator liz first uh, liz if you've wow. ordered from the shop and called in uh before uh she oftentimes has been the person who's kind of uh quarterbacked your mail order and maybe handled any issues that you had and that kind of thing and um a blender in her own right and someone that knows her way around the uh tobacco uh you know kitchen she um has has left us with one final treat and this is turkish delight and so it's a very turkish izmir ford uh blend that uh, we think you'll enjoy, and so if it's something you're looking for, a uh, cool smoking, fragrant, um, non-aromatic summertime smoke that uh, is kind to your mouth, I think you'll really like it. So it, it's funny, we came out with it yesterday, um, and it immediately sold out. <laughs> and so, and so right, we're waiting right, for right, more right, yeah. uh, more blending ingredients to come in. But um, but once we, you know, it will be uh, a fixture on our shelves for the foreseeable future. So just uh, give us a couple weeks to get the kinks worked out, and until then, you can kind of uh, just let the end. Anticipation build, so um, pretty exciting, and um, and we've also got a sale going on on select aromatic tobaccos for the summertime. So some of our more fruity and signature aromatic blends that are good for hot weather, we've got a nice fifteen percent sale on that uh, at the shop as well. One thing I want to mention after we had our Squire Select episode, I guess it's been a couple weeks ago now. Yeah, but, it's been a couple uh, weeks now. Yeah, the Bamboo uh, man, we've gotten some gotten some. Um, some feedback. And a matter of fact, we had a couple of folks uh, stop by the shop immediately after they listened to the episode and they were like, where's the leftover bamboo? I want to try, I want to try the bamboo. Where's the bamboo? And, uh, right? and, and right? they knew I didn't drink it all because they knew they could read between the lines that I thought it was, it was nasty. Right. Yeah. You hated it. <laughs> and uh, matter of fact, even the hurricane came by the shop. And um, it was, uh, of course. What do you, What do you think? I would have. I would imagine. Well, no, I, I, I didn't have any to give him. That's the thing. It, it was actually down the street oh, okay. at the uh, at the annex at the time, and so uh, I didn't have uh, didn't have it with me. But he was he was highly disappointed, which uh, which you could imagine. But um, yeah, anyway, it was. Uh, it was good. It was uh, good, good feedback on that. I'd be interested to know what other folks thought of Bamboo if you haven't tried that uh, banana Laffy Taffy um, uh, rum favorite. So. Ah, don't say Laffy Taffy. I mean, like I, I, I get it, but like I, that's the one. Like I, that that critique is is it's the one, it's fair, but I don't like. It. You know <laughs> so don't bring I mean? it up, like, right? Well, it's it's one of those things where like that was such a that was such a fun one to it do, was and, fun. and that that one in particular because it was just like I was the same way. I was like I, I don't. I don't think I like this, but I'm so perplexed by it. I have, I have <laughs> like, to keep like, drinking just, it, obviously. I gotta keep drinking <laughs> it. So yeah, that was a that was a fun one, man. I'm I'm glad we got some good feedback off that. Well, hopefully, man, we'll get some good feedback uh, off of this episode too. We are uh, reopening a series as we as we are wont to do from time to time here, uh, talking about our heroes of the bowl. Now, one of the great things about the heroes of the bowl series it's it's a it's a chance for us to take a look back on some of the famous pipe smokers of uh, history and on occasion fiction. Yeah. Uh, this week we are going pure history though, although someone who has made their artistic contributions to the art community, of course, but also kind of to Americana, mm-hmm. a man who 
painted a generation, who painted a vision of America throughout several decades, and uh, someone who did so with a pipe in hand and is, uh, man, you want to talk about famous pipe smokers. There are few more famous out there than Norman Rockwell. Yeah, yeah. Norman Rockwell, man. I mean, you just encapsulate Americana in a, in a personality and in an image. And, and, of course, his collected works have, uh, have since, uh, you know, he's been deceased, gone for, you know, tens of millions of dollars, even for small sketch paintings and things of that nature. So uh, just, a, just an iconic uh, American uh, person and, and, uh, and, and artist, illustrator, but, but certainly uh, in the Pipe Smoking Hall of Fame, right? I mean, someone that, um, you know, is, uh, is, is amongst our most, uh, most famous partakers of the leaf. And um, man, it's, a, it's someone we've mentioned before, you know, occasionally on the show, but never uh, dived into, you know, a dedicated episode. So we thought we'd do that today. Man. Okay. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, when you think of Norman Rockwell, what are, what are some of the images or what are some of the thoughts that first come to mind? When I think of Norman Rockwell, I I immediately think of that iconic Thanksgiving dinner table mm-hmm. with the with the the little 1950s mama holding the the platter with the turkey on it over the table. Like that that's that's the immediate thought that I have in my mind. Like it's just uh you know, you think of the holidays, you think of uh, Santa Claus, you think of, you know, carving turkeys and all these classic American themes and that's um that's what comes to my mind. Yeah, what about yeah, you? Yeah, man. I mean, like, I think, I think you, you nailed it. It's holidays for me too. Like it's, you, you, I think it's impossible even so many years later and with so many different kind of, uh, you know, art movements and art stylings that have, uh, have come gone and also been kind of iconic in their own right. It is hard to separate Norman Rockwell from, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving holiday cards and just that yeah. general historic or, or maybe, maybe idealized, almost fictionalized look back at American history through that lens of leave it to beaver esque Christmas, you know, like <laughs> that kind yeah. of feel. And I mean, you, you, you mentioned something that I was looking forward to, to talking about too, which is, that you know not only is Norman Rockwell a, a famous pipe smoker he he came to really kind of help bring a, a I think a vision of another famous pipe smoker into the public consciousness which is of course St. Nicholas now he yeah. you know St. Yeah. Nicholas was obviously drawn and and painted and painted with a pipe far far before Norman Rockwell got his hands on him but at the same time if you're thinking Santa Claus right now chances are the vision that comes to mind if it's not Norman Rockwell Santa Claus it's heavily inspired by it, either in Inspired by him or somehow related to that uh, that imagery, which is really impressive. So, um, yeah, I mean, Norman Rockwell, born in 1894. We're talking about someone that kind of on the cusp of that Edwardian age was becoming coming to awareness and a painter and illustrator, someone that uh, best known for his work at the uh, Saturday Evening Post, but had such a varied life and career. And we mentioned uh, has those uh, images that conjure up Americana classical themes and uh, and all the holidays, of course, and, and and even then became an illustrator that reached the point of commission to to draw presidents and celebrities mm-hmm. and and all these very important things and even some uh, even some civil rights work, which we'll talk about later. But really, just an impressive person and someone that was highly talented. Born in New York City, the Rockwell family was actually a very early immigrant family from England, even before the nation was founded, hailing back to 1635. And so uh, just a, a long blue blood, blue blood family of Yankees that had been here for, for quite a while. Uh, at age 14, he 
entered art school was where his early career began. And at this age, he began to be associated with artwork from the Boy Scouts, actually, which is something that he was closely identified with his whole life. Uh, the, the Boy Scouts, outdoor uh, living, trail life, and getting into the environment and the outdoor you know world, that was just all very much a part of his kind of shtick or whatever. He loved that. First major job was actually as a staff artist for Boy's Life magazine. Uh, he did that at age 19. He became the art editor for Boy's Life at 19. Boy's Life is the publication, the official publication of the Boy Scouts of America and actually is still uh, in print today uh, and is affiliated with the with the BSA. So kind of neat. He eventually uh, moved and began sharing studio space with a famous cartoonist at the time called Clyde Forsyth, who happened to do some work at the Saturday Evening Post. The Saturday Evening Post, you know, that's not a name. We, when we think of Norman Rockwell, we think of that name. But but that's not a name particularly a familiar with, you know, today's readers, right? We don't have a—the um, Saturday Evening Post still exists in a uh, kind of shadow iteration of what it used to be. But this was, uh, at the time, really for the first half of the 20th century, was one of the most— prolific and respected publications for just middle-class uh, American families, right? It's something that you got in the mail uh, a couple times a week and, um, you know, had uh, engaging articles, artwork, reviews, um, you know, just housekeeping things. I mean, it was, a, it was just a great variety magazine that was, you know, prolific and um, had editorial and current events and was just uh, just very well known. And after the 60s and 70s, went through several different uh, kind of evolutions and now is very different from from the one that we would think of back then. But yeah, Saturday Evening Post is is something that really uh, the timelessness of that name in some sense is tied to Norman Rockwell because of his uh, mm -hmm. all his famed work there. And so um, he submitted his first cover picture for the magazine in 1916 at only age 21. And uh, he would go on after that to publish 323 covers uh, thereafter for the next 47 years. So, so, you know, just, just imagine that. I mean, wow. you know, again, this is a magazine that we don't, we're not super familiar with today because it's not still, it carries the same weight and all that. But imagine that you're, you know, you're someone that, you know, grew up in the late fifties or sixties, you come of age and then at a relatively early age, you start submitting work, you know, photographs to, let's say, Time Magazine, right? So, you know, the kind of the, you know, Time Magazine right, or something right, that right. we, you know, think of as at that level today. And then over the next 47 years, Time Magazine picks your artwork to go on the front cover um, 323 times. <laughs> I mean, it's that kind of, it, 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 I'm, I'm just Man. telling you, like it is, it is incredible the amount of uh, identity that, that Rockwell, you know, possessed associated with that publication. And, um, you know, something that really isn't paralleled today. I mean, you, you could think of, uh, man, you know, certainly, you know, Time or uh, the Atlantic or, you know, the New Yorker, or any of these guys, they're, they're not going to, you know, select the same photographer, right, to do the artwork on their cover for that many uh, concurrent, uh, ep, you know, editions. So pretty, pretty interesting. Right. During World War II, Rockwell's art provided solidarity for a nation at war. And um, in uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, 1941, his inauguration speech famously called for four freedoms, which Rockwell went on to illustrate mm. uh, the freedom from want, 
freedom of speech, freedom of worship, and freedom from fear. I was not particularly familiar with this. I'd kind of, you know, seen some images of these before, but had to go back and remind myself. These are really moving concepts, obviously, that the president at the time put forth. But in Roosevelt's mind, these are things that any human shouldn't live without, you know, a freedom from want, a freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from fear. And then during this, you know, incredibly tumultuous time and the nation pulling together and all these, you know, Tor- tortuous events across the world, Rockwell undertakes to to illustrate these things and and does so with um, just incredible skill. U.S. government uh, actually eventually did a tour of these original paintings across the United States to raise uh, money for war bonds to help pay for the war, <laughs> which is which is pretty. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Imagine like today's government, you know, to pay for some uh, event that, you know, the government's undertaking, uh, you know, talking to, you know, movie producers or something and saying, hey, we're going to we'd like to take your movie on the road and sell tickets to it and use the proceeds to, you know, pay for, you know, this war. You think that would happen today? <laughs> so it's kind of. <laughs> well, it depends if it was Captain America. Did you ever see I, Captain I, America? Of not. No. <laughs> oh, no, he does. He'd like that's the thing. He gets started in the movie. He's out selling war bonds. Yeah, they. they, they ship him around and he does a little play where he punches Adolf Hitler, you know, a hundred <laughs> times. And it's, it's, uh, it's great. You know, uh, who is the man? That did, that did. I, I can't remember it, but I just know the star spangled man with the plan. Oh man. Someone's glass shattered somewhere. <laughs> So, um, you know, just had this incredibly skillful representation of these four freedoms and of want, having plenty on your plate, of uh, freedom of speech, you know, having the ability to speak out in public and of worship to obviously worship the way that uh, that you're called to from your convictions and then from fear, just uh, living without the veil of treachery kind of over you. His favorite of all these paintings, which was so moving, was the freedom of speech one. Rockwell particularly liked this. It features a man mm. in a plaid shirt who's jacketed, and he is standing up in what looks like a public assembly to make himself heard. And it's uh, just this very simple but very moving picture of a kind of every man, uh, every everybody, every man American standing in what looks like, you know, could be any small town hall or, um, you know, city hall or civic center. And he's about to, you know, say something that is uh, that is important to him. And this is probably someone that's not uh, used to giving public speeches or anything like that. And so it's a uh, um, it kind of creates a sense of nervousness on his part. And um, it's just a it's just a beautiful picture. It really is. And that was that was Rockwell's favorite. You know, in that picture in particular, Rockwell said that it was inspired by an event of his life where he went to a town hall meeting and there was a a man that stood up with kind of a very similar stance and that sort of thing and just said, you know, made his opinions heard. And he said literally no one in the room (laughs) agreed with him, but they all gave him the but they all gave him the space to share the share those thoughts and everything. And it just really, you know, even though he didn't agree with the man, he really, you know, valued the fact that he was given the space to be able to right. to, to speak his beliefs. And I think there's a there's there's a lot going on. Obviously, also as an artist, freedom of speech is mm. one that uh, I think speaks to all artists as well. But man, all of those, it, it's it's you know, Norman Rockwell was very mm. much a patriot. Um, he he his weapon was his paintbrush. But at the same time, he did actually, if I'm not mistaken, try, try to go off and uh, join the army, but uh, was a little too lanky at the time, if I'm remembering correctly. <laughs> <laughs> this was 
really interesting story about him. Yeah, actually, uh, during World War One, you know, this is someone that, uh, you know, as a young man was incredibly uh, patriotic and caught up in America's late entrance into the Great War and uh, wanted to do his part. And <laughs> it's just crazy. Uh, he was uh, for his height. He was over six feet tall. He weighed uh, eight. He was eight pounds underweight. Uh, for for his height ratio, and so uh, they actually would not let him enlist to fight in World War One. And so this crazy story uh, develops that that we have confirmation on. It's incredibly true. But um, in one night, Norman Rockwell, as a youth, he ate enough bananas, donuts, and drank liquid to enlist the very next day <laughs> in the uh, in the army. <laughs> And what was so disappointing to him is that he, you know, he he got in, he'd done this, all this uh, terrible uh, overnight work, and I'm assuming trying, you know, really hard to not go to the bathroom to evacuate and everything. It's just crazy. Like, what are you willing to go through to to serve your country? Well, Norman Rockwell ate <laughs> way too many bananas and donuts, but... Um, but he wanted to go into the field, you know, and it was funny, uh, disappointingly to him, uh, he was uh, only given the role of military artist and never saw action in the in the line of duty. But I, I do think that that little uh, anecdote that that um, you mm-hmm. know story speaks a lot to his character and a lot to his love for uh, the United States, and um, you know, and certainly as you mentioned, you know, that as an artist is very tied up in in the identity of. Uh, of those uh, those right-brained people. So, yeah, it makes good sense. In Rockwell's younger years, uh, he struggled emotionally and, and, you know, with insecurity and even depression, which, you know, at the time was not something you uh, regularly talked of. You know, he had the luxury coming from kind of his background to uh, going and, and finding a, a psychoanalyst to uh, kind of help him with some of these things. And it was at that point the, that uh, the psychoanalyst, he chided him for, um, quote, painting his happiness but mm. not living it. Mm. And and so we have these really uh, vivid, beautiful pictures of American life and, you know, kind of this uh, sereneness and just this classic, you know, working together. Everyone's happy. The family's happy. The plates are full at dinner time, and all this stuff. And 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 yet there was a sadness mm-hmm. behind a lot of that. You know, uh, Rockwell was divorced at a young age and went through a, a real serious uh, uh, season of darkness. His second wife uh, died. Uh, even after they moved to be closer to some, um, you know, some uh, hospital care for her and, and take some uh, precautions for her. And so, um, you know, he was just very, uh, in some ways, kind of tortured, you know, and, and had to work through a lot of that. So the front image of, of the things that he saw that he was so good at uh, painting and illustrating, you know, was uh, was not necessarily something that he experienced in his own right, which is uh, kind of interesting. It's like, well, are you painting something that you're longing for? Or are you drawing something? something that you're longing for and and maybe for Rockwell that was um that was somewhat the case even the way in which he portrayed uh the war in in his artwork was always very uh there was a sense of humor to it there was a sense of celebration there's kind of a sense of innocence even in in the soldier's eyes and you yeah. know and but but was really you know and I I, I wrestled with this cuz I was thinking about like you know the way in which he depicted uh, the war and you know there is that I mean you know it, it, it was used as propaganda and I, I mean that in a neutral term not in any kind of uh, negative yeah. or positive yeah, light sure. just that's that's what it was used for mm-hmm. and you know the reality is is that he was very adamant about the fact that he didn't want to paint what he felt was angry or ugly like at the time like he really wanted to like, like kind of latch on to the American spirit back home 
that was striving yeah. for something, uh, was striving kind of for those ideals and, and not necessarily touch on the horrors of mm. war, not to pretend like the horrors of war don't exist, but at least in the world that he painted, the horrors of war didn't exist. And so there, there is potentially yeah. a critique is kind yeah. of looking back on, you know, him engaging with his own psyche or being afraid to engage with his own psyche to some extent, especially during that time, you mm-hmm. can kind of see it in the way in which he kind of portrayed America as well. No, I, I think you're right. You know, living in small town America, uh, Arlington, Vermont, and then Stockbridge, Massachusetts, uh, this is, uh, you know, where he was kind of getting a lot of his content. I mean, you know, just the, you know, folks going to church, eating at the local diner, uh, kids uh, sledding in the snow, building snowmen, uh, you know, a lot of this uh a kind of uh, country life and, and just, you know, the simplicity of this and contrasting that to the horrors of, you know, what's either going on in the big city or in Washington, D.C. or over overseas during wartime, just terrible. And and so, you know, just bringing that sense of uh, lightheartedness and uh, and low gravity to uh, to those, um, you know, those situations and events of the day is uh, is kind of what he did. You know, that's what he was known for. And and it cuts both ways. You know, sure, there's, yeah. a, there's a beauty in that. There's a, you know, kind of remembering about the you know hey life's carrying on and we've got to make the best of everything but but there is also that sense of like kind of skimming over some uh some of the darkness some of the reality that that's there that um you know one of the um you know most well-known artists of the age uh, maybe doesn't engage with fully and so um yeah just kind of kind of interesting so his legacy you know the stodgy artist types of today classify rockwell as a as a cartoonist or an illustrator uh, rather than rather than a painter, and you know that kind of as someone that wants to take up for my fellow pipe mm. smoker, that kind of mm. gets under my skin, right? <laughs> it's like no, nah, I mean this was a this was a real artist, but but honestly, I don't think it wouldn't. I, I think it would not have bothered uh, Rockwell particularly much, you, you know, to think of himself as a as an illustrator. That's really what he referred to himself as, uh, you know, maybe cartoonist might've been pushing it, but, um, you know, but an illustrator, this is kind of how he thought of himself and introduced himself. And, um, you know, so I don't necessarily think that would be a slight in his mind. Many, many works he became well known for over the years. We mentioned the four freedoms earlier, Santa and scouts in snow. You've got this, uh, you know, picture of, uh, Santa with these, uh, boy scouts that are out there kind of wrestling in the snow. His rendition of of Rosie the Riveter. Uh, Rosie the Riveter, as we as we know, was this kind of iconic American woman figure, uh, stylized during World War II of women working in the their part for the uh, kind of war preparation. Uh, my grandmother was actually one of these people. These you know ladies that were going to to work. Yeah, they weren't fighting overseas, but they were doing their part behind the the scenes. And uh, the most famous image of this, of course, was uh, done by Howard Miller, the, right, the famous right. We Can Do It picture where Rosie the Riveter is kind of holding up her bicep and flexing her muscle and looking right at the right at the uh, at the painter and uh, just saying, hey, we got this, you know. And uh, Rockwell's uh, rendition of this is is really cool. And I, I would highly recommend that anybody go look at this. It's not nearly as well known as the Miller We Can Do It painting, but but Rockwell's rendition is equally cool. It's it's just such a neat image. It's a it's a rendition of a muscular woman. She's on her lunch break. She's got a riveter kind of draped across her lap as she's sitting down. 
Um, and, and this, this pose is that she, she almost has this Rubensian kind of, uh, heaviness to her, uh, that Rockwell was, um, was portraying, but he actually modeled it after a Michelangelo, a Michelangelo painting from, uh, from the 1500s. So this pose is actually kind of capturing that. And it's just really beautiful. It's, it's really, it's just really, really neat. It's, uh, it's taking Rosie the Riveter and, I mean, turning her into this, I don't know, it's just, uh, almost mythic figure. It's really, really kind something. Of, kind of like a superhero? Uh, maybe, like coming- you know, yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. <laughs> As someone who's that. not particularly familiar with superheroes, uh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, other other paintings that he did, and of course, illustrations. Uh, Saving, saying grace, just you know, iconic picture of this, you know, small frail woman praying in a public setting. One of my favorites is called Tough Call. It's this picture of umpires in the middle of a uh, rainstorm, and, and they're during a during a baseball game. They're trying to figure out, like, is this, you know, should they call the game or not? And uh, it is just, it's such a cool picture and has a lot of whimsy, you know, associated with it. And, you know, he didn't do a, a lot of heavy heaviness in his in his artwork. But um, I think some of the things that gets more, um, maybe attention nowadays due to, um, the gravity, just, you know, looking back at, at, you know, the years he lived through and the importance of that history. Um, the, the pieces that get a lot of, uh, attention nowadays of Rockwell's are, are two that are very, uh, very beautiful, very powerful. Um, the first one is, uh, the problem we all live with. Uh, it's a picture of little Ruby Bridges, a six-year-old black girl who is integrating the, uh, New Orleans public school system. So he painted this and it's a very, very powerful picture of this precious, just defenseless little six-year-old girl who's just, you know, this small little, you know, a human in her little dress and she's got her little uh, ribbons on for school, but she's being escorted into, you know, by all this uh, terrible graffiti with these slurs and people throwing vegetables and all this stuff. She's being escorted uh, by these powerful people uh, past all this going to her first day of school. And uh, it's just this um, this powerful thing, the problem we all live with was the title of that picture. And, um, and, and it was something that at the time was, was very much true. You know, it was something that, uh, regardless of what corner of the United States you lived in, this was, this was happening on our soil. It was something that we had to, um, had to get through. So, yeah, that one I want to say is actually, and I could be very wrong, but I think that one, the original is, Actually, in Memphis at the Civil Rights Museum, there I could be wrong. Maybe it was there for a time. Yeah, I'm not sure that you know. I know they have done over over time. They've done um, tours of Rockwell's work, you know, and and across the United States, either uh, as an expo- exhibition or just to raise money for this and that. But um, the other one is interesting, and of course, uh, certainly for our uh, location here in the heart of the Deep South, and 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 even in the title of the work, it was called Murder in Mississippi, and and this was probably Rockwell's hardest painting, uh, one that just uh, was uh, gut wrenching the most. It actually uh, it was published in the magazine Look uh, in the in the '60s, and it actually illustrates the murders of three civil rights activists in 1964. Uh, in Neshoba County, Mississippi. So if you're f- familiar with, you know, the civil rights movement of the 60s and 70s and aware of that, the, you know, Freedom Summer, you know, you had all these folks coming from all over the country to, you know, help uh, the local black population here in the Deep South uh, get registered to vote, you know, and become uh, part of civic life. And so there was this big push and, and these uh, two guys from um, from New York, along with a, a guy from Meridian, Mississippi, were actually murdered uh, as 
a part of that. It made international news and it was just really, really big deal. And it happened literally just probably, you know, I don't know, 55 minutes from where I sit right now, you know, <laughs> just right, right up the, right mm-hmm. up the highway 25 here in, uh, in central Mississippi happened, um, in Neshoba County, which, uh, is, um, the county seat of that area is called Philadelphia. It's a, um, you know, there's a kind of a Native American population up there, but it's very extreme, you know, extremely rural and, um, you know, that's that's where this occurred. And it was just incredibly tragic, repulsive. It was just this horrifying thing that happened during this hopeful, uh, you know, summer where folks were gathering together to, um, you know, change the lives for these people in in the South. And so he illustrated this. And it's it's just it's just horrifying. It's so sad and, and yet so purposeful. And, um, you know, you could tell that Rockwell, um, this, this sat heavy with him. And so, um, you know, in his work of murder in Mississippi and, and then also the problem we all live with, uh, you know, you can tell that this, uh, this tugged on his heartstrings quite well. Which is really saying something. Cause like I said, with the war, you really didn't see him engaging with kind of yeah. more of the harsh reality. Yeah. And you almost kind of see a bit of like a, I don't know if it's just an evolution of, of, you know, kind of the, you, you kind of juxtapose some of his civil rights work with, some of his earlier work and kind of the leave it to beaver style Americana. And you do see kind of a, like a, a kind of a coming social awareness that he, he must've gone through as an artist coming to yeah. terms with, uh, with the ugliness of it all. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of interesting. You know, the depth there certainly grew anyway, Rockwell, you know, we, we talk about his life and work and his accomplishments and his legacy, but of course we talk about him mainly because he was a pipe smoker. <laughs> oh, and was he ever? <laughs> he was indeed, man. He was indeed. It was, um, you know, the subject matter of so much of his imagery, uh, have the classic painting of, uh, you know, boys smoking these two, uh, kind of, um, you know, cornbread, uh, looking kids, uh, maybe back behind the barn and they're smoking on their little corn cob pipes with their little pup. Um, you know, just so fun to the, uh, one of my favorites, the boy caught smoking a pipe, uh, where he's, uh, you know, the <laughs> kind of the older gentleman is dragging him along by his coat neck and, uh, where he's found this, uh, pipe that he's been enjoying. And, uh, the, the older gentleman has this smirk on his face, like, I got you, but I really can't blame you because what <laughs> he's smoking his pipe as well. And, um, you know, just really, really neat. Um, all the way to his self-portrait to uh, just, you know, this is someone that was very identified with his pipe, uh, even like I said, even in his self-portrait that he did, which was uh, was really neat. But um, he used it as, you know, a subject uh, in in his in his paintings as, you know, a matter of, you know, as, as a prop, as part of his imagery. He also carefully used it to promote his own image. You know, Rockwell was mm-hmm. um, over time, he really developed this uh, very keen sense of uh, image and social awareness. And, you know, he was someone that was quick to, uh, you know, make sure that, you know, he had his uh, uh, everything was put together before he went in public and all that. He, he was really he became a celebrity in the art world. I mean, like, that's difficult in any era. You right. know, but, but I mean, but like certainly an era where, you know, you didn't have the Internet or exactly. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's really, really remarkable. And so he was very careful to kind of promote his image in a very specific way. And so um, he was known, you know, if he was ever going to be photographed, he was known, hey, wait, wait to take your picture until I get my Dunhill. You know, I've got to go get my Dunhill <laughs> right. for uh, for the photo. And um, 
you know, was just careful to always curate that uh, that kind of picture. And the pipe for him represented the, you know, it reinforced his identity as an intellectual and as a thinker. Um, and, um, you know, he just, he, he wanted that. And, um, you know, what, what pipe smoker doesn't, you know, that's kind of part of our, kind of part of our, all of our deals. So, Absolutely. um, but, uh, yeah, Norman Rockwell, a straight Dunhill smoker, someone that, uh, loved a, uh, loved a fine billiard and, um, you know, the, um, accounts of his, uh, tobacco preferences are varying, but, uh, over the years have come under different, um, you know, versions or interpretations, uh, recently, um, the, uh, Scandinavian tobacco group and, uh, pipesandcigars.com, uh, came out with, a, a Norman Rockwell tobacco and who knows if that's anything near what he smoked, but, um, but certainly it kind of, uh, you know, in their mind evokes some of his, uh, um, you know, attributes and things like that. So, um, man, just a, a great American of interesting, uh, personality, someone that accomplished a lot and, and, uh, in the identity of our, uh, country, but also, um, you know, spread the, uh, spread the news about the pipe. So yeah, yeah man. Man. Rep- represented pipe smokers. Well, that's, yep. uh, that's what you like to see. Uh, man, look, I love diving into, uh, to Norman Rockwell and kind of learning more, uh, about him and, um, you know, it, it's just one of those things you, you know, his work and maybe especially if you, you might be kind of a, uh, you know, a, a younger listener, a newer pipe smoker, then, you know, you might know the name, you might know the work, but you may not have put the two uh, together. And yeah. so, uh, hopefully you got, you got some good education and maybe a little inspiration. I, there is something to be said for somebody who does utilize that kind of pipe imagery in the way in which they represent themselves. Obviously, you know, you can't get a picture of John David Cole without him smoking a pipe. You can't, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I have been known to be photographed wearing a certain brand of hat and a certain type of hat. This is, uh, it's, you know, kind of a ah, the old Goran brothers hat. When, how much uh, do they pay you a, a week? Yeah. Not, not, not a dime, <laughs> but I've certainly paid them a lot to, to promote uh-huh. their, their work. But man, uh, but you know, I will say this, man, like there, there's a lot of different ways in which you can kind of go out. You can, uh, uh, and, and showcase your love of the pipe. You can bust out kind of that, you know, that beautiful Dunhill for sure. Or you can rock a good quality corncob pipes from our good friends at Missouri Meerschaum. Man, absolutely. Another American legend and someone, yes, uh, a company that was really tied up in the identity of America and, uh, you know, the encapsulation of the American ethic and all that. Uh, the country gentleman, the legend corncob pipe, the uh, Washington, I mean, just all these incredible um, in, incredible uh, pipes that, that they came out with. We are talking about the legend today, which is such a, a simple but iconic pipe from Missouri Meerschaum. It's a very um, elegant uh, billiard-shaped pipe. Uh, comes in a straight and a bent variety and has just a very nice, warm, honey-colored uh, stain on the outside of it. Uh, I like this because it has the um, kind of amber bit that goes with the uh, the honey color warmth of the bowl and so you just really have this uh very understated but uh but classic look it's uh it's very nice and um and and you know when you're smoking it you might be channeling those boys smoking behind the barn with their little dog so <laughs> The Legend Corncob Pipe from Missouri Meerschaum is the most popular pipe for the price in their series of mid-sized filtered pipes and has a medium-sized bowl and a uh, genuine hardwood insert in the bottom of the bowl. So uh, just a very, very handsome pipe. Uh, you can get it at corncobpipe.com. It's, it retails for only $7.79. And uh, if you go there and order it, they'll ship it right to your front door. Man, I love my country gentlemen. I was enjoying it when I was in Grand Rapids uh, just the other uh, week and so I want to encourage you guys if you happen to have a country gentleman uh, and you happen to or be enjoying it or, or or a legend be sure to uh, <laughs> be sure to enjoy it uh, take a take a selfie when you do it uh, it's a great way to let the good folks at Missouri Mirsham know you appreciate them for sponsoring this show 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. question of the week. All right, man. Pipe question of the week coming in from Brad. 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 <laughs> Let's see what Brad had to say. He said, uh, hey, J.D. and Bo, big fan of the show. Been listening the past couple of years and have learned a lot. Quick question. I've been a pipe smoker for the past two years, which means I unfortunately missed out on the frog. For the past year, Kramer's fa- uh, father, Dempsey, has made uh, has been my go-to daily smoke, but I recently ordered Shepherd's Pie from the Country Squire, and I absolutely love it. To my not-so-expert palate, these two tobaccos taste similar to me. Are there any other similar tobaccos that you can recommend, either possible frog replacements or just similar Latakia forward or mild blends? Uh, thanks so much. And that's from Brad. You know, the, I, this is reminding me, and I probably should have mentioned this at the top of the show. You remember, yeah. so we mentioned Bumbo, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I had mentioned a pairing that I thought was a really good pairing was uh, Taps VIP. Now, I, I I realized after I got off the air, and actually that very night, I, I picked up my pipe and I was like, "Hang on, now, I don't think that's right." And I sat down <laughs> and smoked it. What I was actually like, if I could do a retraction, uh, I love Taps VIP. There's no yeah. no slight to them, but actually, it was Fox Bankers, Fox the Bankers. Was, really? Uh, yeah. yeah. And it wasn't yeah. to go with Bumbo. It was to go with the um, uh, Havana, the Havana Club. Uh, it was a really, <laughs> really fine pairing. Anyway, I don't know why this just reminded me of that. I mean, I think it's because I was also smoking some Frogmorton alongside of it. Uh, and I really love, you know, those two are kind of like a, my, my favorite pipe tobacco is Fox the Bankers and, and Frogmorton uh, Cellar. But anyway, yes. So back to Brad's question. I apologize for the detour. But. Yeah, no, it, it, it is a good question. Frankly, there's just not, um, there's not any, any great replacements. We, we are so fortunate to have developed years ago a um, tobacco called Shepherd's Pie, which we're very proud of. And and we didn't do that to mimic a, a, a Frog Morton per se. Uh, it just kind of came out that way. And then after, you know, McClellan closed, a lot of people, um, you know, kind of started looking for alternatives and Frog Morton uh, Shepherd's Pie started coming up in a lot of the forums. And um, obviously we were, we were pleased with that and, and were honored by, um, you know, sending Shepherd's Pie across the world. And since then, a lot of folks have uh, adopted Shepherd's Pie as their Frogmorton replacement. So, you know, very, very honored by that. There's not a lot out there that feature the, um, you know, full-strength Latakia with, you know, a nice uh, soft uh, Virginia and then unflavored black Cavendish component. So, you know, some tobaccos I would uh, encourage you to try if you haven't. Your pipe smoking adventures over the past couple of years, things like the uh, Rattry's uh, Black Mallory, you know, you could do uh, Dunhill's Early Morning Pipe or 965. There's so many different, uh, you know, forms of 
um, the English style blend that uh, you know kind of come out and show you what what can be done with the uh, with the sophisticated Latakia leaf and um, you know even Presbyterian mixture, which um, you know is just uh, such a fascinating blend with its uh, kind of mystery lurking back in there. So any of Greg Peace's English blends, of course, he just does such a good job with you know nuance and care when blending a uh, pipe tobacco. So um, you know explore those, but you know I, I think you're going to be hard pressed to find anything quite like the frog we we're honored to occasionally be uh mentioned in the conversation with shepherd's pie but um man the frog morton uh it was uh it was uh it was pretty unique great question brad we want to encourage anybody if you got a pipe question for us you can send it into the show that is show at countrysquireradio.com again that is show at countrysquireradio.com quick fire with the squire quick fire question Ow, did that hurt? No, right? It did. It was painful. <laughs> it was super. All right. Yeah. This this is uh this is appropriate. This this almost seems like we planned it. I want to assure everybody this was not planned. I know that's hard to believe. <laughs> but we of course have been uh, uh going through our March madness, June madness now. Uh, for various tobacco brackets that uh, we've been sent into the show. And this week we've got the first round of our Heroes of the Bowl bracket. How about that? Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah how about that's great. That's God's providence. That's not us, man. That just that, that just that just happened. <laughs> all right, all right. Here we go. Here we go. You ready for this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. This this is gonna be tough, actually. I, this this is gonna be tough. And also, right. there's some on here that are a little questionable. All right, let, uh, enough. Sorry. Walt Disney versus J.R.R. Tolkien. I gotta go with Tolkien. Yeah, I, I mean, got I to. love Disney. Gotta go with Tolkien. All right, all right. Uh, Brian, you know where he lives. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, you gotta, gotta go with Tolkien. It's a tough one. Both, both iconic, both creators, both visionaries. Uh, but I mean, like you, you can't deny the pipe culture that Tolkien established and, you know, beyond just, you know, the yeah. fact that he enjoyed a pipe. And then also, I mean, like, you know, while both these men are brilliant in their own various rights, I'd, I'd rather have a beer with Tolkien. Uh, <laughs> all right. Charles Spurgeon or C.S. Lewis? As a good Anglican, I have to go with C.S. Lewis, but no shade to Charles Spurgeon because the Prince of Preachers is always welcome at my home. <laughs> yeah, and Spurgeon was more of a cigar smoker, right? Yeah, he was. He was. He was a pipe guy, but he he was more of a cigar smoker. Matter of fact, if you go to I forget that big uh, Baptist seminary that's in Kansas yeah, they City, but his, they yeah. um, they've actually got his last cigar uh, that was uh, halfway smoked there when he passed away, and uh, I think it's sitting under like a glass dome or something. It's uh, <laughs> kind of something interesting that you can go look at. So, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I guess you know between the two, I'd have to grit my teeth and go with uh, go with Lewis. Okay. All right. Sounds good. That makes sense. All right. Next up, Mark Twain or William Faulkner? William Faulkner. There again, you know, Mark Twain, pipe smoker, uh, probably a little more identified with cigar smoking, but, um, you know, William Faulkner, a uh, pipe smoker through and through, colorful character, much like Mark Twain, but, you know, a fellow Mississippian. So we'd have to maybe get together and uh, talk turkey on that. Yeah, I mean, it, there's reasons why all of these are kind of paired up, and you can see it here with Mark Twain <laughs> and Faulkner. But yeah, obviously, we got to go with Faulkner for sure. All right, and then uh, this one, <laughs> this one, this one's also probably going to be an easy one for you: Sir Walter Riley or Edward Teach? Who is Edward Teach? Now you might know Edward Teach better by the uh, the the nomenclature he went by in his heyday, which was Blackbeard. Oh, oh, well, mm, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. So I. 
So I'm going to go with Sir Walter Raleigh. Who you are you going to go with? So, <laughs> so that's the thing. We got to go with Sir Walter Raleigh because if you want to talk about contributions to, to pipe tobacco, especially kind of the spread of pipe tobacco as a whole, yeah. uh, you know, he was, uh, you know, now he was a sea dog and, and not necessarily, uh, he was a different kind of pirate, let's say, than yeah. kind of the, the pirates of the golden age, whereas, of course, Edward Teach Blackbeard was, uh, you know, well, he's Blackbeard. Uh, <laughs> we, we have yet to do a pirates and pipe tobacco episode on blackbeard because and i have searched there is no evidence that blackbeard was a pipe smoker mm. uh, there is mm. a lot that is tied to the imagery surrounding blackbeard in terms of uh smoke like he he yeah. typically appeared before uh, a captain or or a crew once he had taken a ship or you know you, you want to talk about creating that iconic imagery blackbeard understood that he <laughs> he wanted to be seen he would light um, you know, uh, what do you call the little things that you stick in TNT and light them on fire though? Not wick, but, um, yeah, the you know fuse. what I'm talking about? Yeah. The fuse. Yeah. He would mm-hmm. get fuses and he would put that in his beard and he would light them and uh, <laughs> it would singe the beard so that he would have this like cloud of smoke around his head and, and kind a good of idea. become this demonic figure whenever he intimidated people. And, and so, you know, you, he was, he was big on personal branding, if you will. Yeah. But, yeah. Unf- and so I feel like we would know, I feel like we would know if Blackbeard smoked a pipe and I have yet to find any evidence. I, I swear, like I, you know, it doesn't take much for me to, to justify making somebody, making a, a pirate, one of our uh, pirate pirates and pipe tobacco uh, features. But <laughs> unfortunately, yeah, the, the Godfather, the OG, the, uh, the most recognized in pop culture anyway, of the historic pirates, Edward Teach, no proof that he was a pipe smoker. So yeah, Sir Walter Riley gets it easy, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> All great. right. This is interesting, man. I'm really excited for next week because we're going to have Tolkien going up against Lewis. We're going to have Faulkner going mm. up on Sir Walter Riley. Uh, it's I love that be, you can't say the word Raleigh. It's just, it's Riley. It's it, it, it's whatever it wants to be. Yeah, it's Sir Walter Riley smoking his Missouri meerschaum. Meerschaum. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, what what did I say? What are you call? <laughs> anyway, everything's fine, uh, Bo. Everything's fine. <laughs> absolutely. By the way, that was a fun episode when we did uh, Sir Walter Raleigh, uh, and uh, uh, for for the Pirates of Pipe Tobacco. It's a good one to go back and listen to if you haven't already. But there you go. Those are our uh, yeah the heroes of the bowl bracket round one. Uh, for our quick fire questions this week, uh, we got the full brackets. All of the brackets are available to our patrons at patreon.com slash country squire radio. So if you're interested in uh, finding out what comes next, you can uh, find it there. These have been a lot of fun. Our, our stretching out March well yeah. into June and beyond. It's, uh, <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Your, Your thoughts? thoughts? Your, Your comments? comments. Listener, Listener feedback. Listener feedback. All right, man. Listener feedback this week. Uh, you, you you got some listener feedback for us, right? Well, I did. You know, we, uh, of course, talked to uh, friends and acquaintances after occasionally some of these episodes. And so right on the day our uh, last Squire Select uh, went out. I get this text message late at night. It's uh, it's from our friend Russ Hicks, sometimes a guest host of uh, Country Squire Radio, and he says, uh, "When John David pairs your drink with Autumn Evening, it means he secretly thinks your rum sucks." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and so uh, that is uh, that is great. from Russ. He goes on to say uh, that after a show, after the show, he cracked open a 16-year-old tin of autumn evening and drank some sweet rum with it. He actually said the age helped the tobacco a little bit, but surprisingly, the pairing was pretty spot on. So good job. Um, so that was, uh, that was nice to hear from Russ a couple weeks ago. Also, maybe this was last week, actually, we had a, uh, squire or a, uh, tobacco talk episode, right, Bo? We, uh, talked about, uh, a, uh, Gaywith and Hogarth tobacco, but also a GLP's tobacco. The GLP's tobacco we discussed was Abingdon. Um, and I asked Greg, this was, this was really neat. He was kind enough to kind of share a story about this. Greg Peace, um, you know, I, I said, where did you get the name from? Where did that... Um, where did that come from? And Greg is known to be a, he, he's an enthusiast of a lot of the finer things. You know, he is a very well-cultured person, but, um, but Greg Peace is, uh, is a car enthusiast as well. And he says, uh, quote, Abingdon was the home of MG cars. Of course, the great British, uh, MG car, uh, moniker. He said, he's always been a fan. When I created the blend, the aromas reminded me of the unique smells of some of my old roadsters. Believe it or not, that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> the name seemed a fitting tribute and was oblique enough to amuse me. Uh, the full name of the town uh, is, of course, Abingdon on the Thames. Um, just a bit too long for a tobacco blend or, or maybe too pretentious for a blend name. So uh, anyway, huh. he just went with Abingdon and that was kind of uh, kind of his tribute to, um, you know, to his uh, to his one of his favorite car loving towns. And so uh, pretty neat. If you smoke that Abingdon and you, you smell those um, kind of smoldery you know, a pungent odors that are, that are there. It, it's such an interesting tobacco. I think you'll, I think you'll maybe get what he's going for there. It's a, um, you know, it, it's a, it, it, it like that, um, you know, like that, uh, you know, car smell, but in a, in a good way. Uh, it's, uh, it's really neat. So you kind of get some of Greg's, uh, inspiration there and, and we appreciate him for sharing that. That's awesome. And I know this is ironic coming from me, but isn't it on the Thames and not the Thames? It's the, it's the Thames. It's the Thames. The, the Tims. Right. Okay. Like, like we would just, you know, because we're lazy, would cut out all the uh, superfluous lettering and just say T-I-M-S. But, you know, they've right. got to they've got to put things in there that, that don't make sense. <laughs> OK. All right. So. So. All right. Or that do enough, make sense, enough. but that, you know, we're too simple minded to understand. <laughs> it's always dangerous whenever I ask about such things, because I'm like, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, like this, this really isn't for me. I, I, I don't. Right. I, I can't read it right. As English as uh, you are, maybe the language is not really for you, Bo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or for me exactly. either, for that matter. <laughs> no, this is this is this is very true. This is very true. All right, man. Well, hey, this is uh this is great listener feedback. I want to encourage y'all. If y'all have got some listener feedback for the show, you can always uh head over to iTunes and write us a review. It's a great way to support the show and it doesn't cost you a dime to do it. But if you are willing to spend a few dimes to help out the show, uh head over to patreon.com slash country squire radio where you can support the show by becoming a patron and even joining the Country Squire Radio International Pipe Club. Again, that is patreon.com slash country squire radio. You can keep up with us throughout the week. You can follow John David at John David Cole on the Twitters and the shop at uh, country squire radio and the show at squire radio. Uh, But all this information and more can be found at country squire radio.com. All right. Well, man, Norman Rockwell had fun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Such a great episode. I'll, you know, here's the bowl. This is, you know, whenever we're kind of combining pipes and, and culture, I mean, like, you know, we've got a pipe culture, uh, series and, and to some extent this man embodied it and, uh, and, and certainly for his time and, and, and throughout a lot of different times in America. So fascinating, uh, fascinating study. And, 
Uh, also, just kind of uh, excited to learn a little bit more about a fellow brother of the Briar. Yeah, that's right, man. That's right. Um, I kind of feel like I need to subscribe to the Saturday Evening Post, but um, I probably can't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, I'll tell you what. In the meantime, let's go have a day. See you, brother. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.